All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord, loved ones. It is a joy. I mean this in every sense of the word. As I was looking at what was going on in our precious city. And around the world. It is a joy to be here with you. Amen. It's good to be together. Praise the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's open up our Bibles. We need the Word of God so much. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. If you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, put up your hand right now. Our ushers are coming forward, and we'd like to put one in your lap. Uh, We're going to open God's Word and go verse by verse, line by line, through these five beautiful uh, verses. And so put your hand up nice and high. Our ushers are going to put that in. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at your home, then please uh, make sure, make sure that you take that as a free gift from us to encourage you to continue to study God's Word on your own. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. And here today, uh, we launch into a new sermon series that is going to, Lord willing, take us into the summer. And this sermon series is entitled, Seek First the Kingdom, Gospel Foundations for Financial Freedom. Such a timely series for our day. Now, you may be sitting there, and depending on your experience, you may be groaning right now, being like, oh no, oh no, it's a series on money. Anyone groaning? It's a money series. And depending on your experience with this and exposure to this in the past, you may be asking, why a series on money and not something else? I mean, isn't this just going to be some like money grab making me feel guilty every week? Can't we do something else? Loved ones, I want to say no to that. That is the farthest thing from the gospel's intention when it talks about financial freedom. As your senior pastor, as one of your elders, I want to make it very, very clear to you, we are not out for your money. We are out for your freedom. We are not out for your money. We are out for your freedom. Why? Because Jesus is out for our freedom. Amen? He is out for our freedom. So much so that he came to earth and paid a ransom. A ransom for your life and mine. To free you from the slavery of sin and all that would seek to enslave you and steal an increasing affection for him and the glory of him in your life. And make no mistake, 
As Scripture says many times, the love of money, the love of amassing earthly treasure and wealth is one of, if not the, greatest thing that can steal our affection for Jesus Christ as our greatest love and His glory in our lives. And so, why do we do a series on this? Here's why. Because how we steward God's money, and I say that intentionally, God's money, how we steward God's money and resources and assets and wealth that he gives us matters to him greatly. How do you know this? Because he's the master of it all. He is the master of it all. You are not, I am not. You say, what do you mean by that? It's all his. Everybody say, it's all his. It's all his. Every bit you have, every bit I have of money, wealth, possessions, assets, anything like that, every bit you and I have has been entrusted. I'm going to say that again. It is an entrustment from him, and we are called to steward it faithfully. You say, how do you know this? Well, Haggai 2.8, God makes it very clear. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord. It is not yours. It is not mine. The Lord says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And he puts this exclamation mark on it in Psalm 50, verse 12, when it says, the world is the Lord's and everything in it. Kind of a big deal. The world is the Lord's and everything in it. In fact, in his book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn says something very, very stunning. He said, 15% of everything Jesus said relates to money. 15% of everything Jesus said relates to money, more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Why would he focus so much on this? Here's, and here's the thing we need to understand to sum it up. If it matters to him, it needs to matter to us. And so let me debunk a few things, depending on what you've heard from a, a finance series before. This series is not here to promote any sort of prosperity gospel. It's not saying, if you do X, Y, Z, then you're going to have a very healthy and wealthy life. That's not, everyone say that's not it. That actually isn't true financial freedom as God intends, as we will see over the course of this series. We're not promoting some prosperity gospel that is an evil doctrine, and that has no place here. Here's, here, this series also, though, is not, if you're hoping you hear that, and you're like, okay, oh, great, I'll have ideas of how to set... Amen. Hey, whatever word. Praise the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, come on, Lord. Amen. Hey, by the way, before we move on, a little pause. Don't count this for our sermon time. I just want to, uh, can we just 
Praise the Lord for the wonderful volunteers who came in to set this whole thing up. Come on. Yes, team. Yes. Come on. It is so good to see the unity of the church, people coming together. Oh, bring it on. All right. So the second thing, back to the sermon time. The second thing this is, this series is, it's not so much this. Six steps to setting up a healthy budget. It's not, it's not focusing on that per se. Or what investments you should make if you're going to be faithful. What companies, all this stuff. It's not, it's not about that. As important as that is, in their own ways, this series is about something much more important than that. It's actually about the very thing that is the foundation for what you do with those things. It impacts everything else. It is looking at the gospel principles and foundations that Jesus has given us to faithfully steward the finances, the wealth, the assets that he has entrusted to us. And here it is, the heart. Everybody say heart. The heart he desires for us to have that motivates all of our actions in relation to that. So we can live in the financial freedom that God calls us to through the gospel, out of the consumeristic rat race of the world. The rat race of the world says, gotta have, gotta get. Gotta have, gotta get. How much is enough? A little bit more. All of the, There's the rat race of the world. Amass, amass, amass earthly treasure. The gospel calls us out of that. There is no freedom in that and calls us to live with his priorities, purposes, and agenda to seek first his kingdom and see his kingdom come and his will be done. But here's the question we're confronted with right off the start. It's really going to determine whether you actually have any life changed through this series or not. The answer, how you answer this, and it sets the tone for it, is this. Do you really want to live in true financial freedom? Do you really want to? Because if you don't want to, that's between you and the Lord. You've got to take that up with him. Do you really want to live in true financial freedom? You say, it seems so elusive. You look at like stocks are going down and living costs are going up and, you know, like f- try filling up your car with gas. Like, <sighs> grocery bills. Love my kids, but like grocery bills. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Housing costs, right? you like, it seems so elusive, doesn't it? This whole idea of financial freedom. So let's get a definition, a biblical definition to help understand what we're talking about and make sure we're on the same page. But before we get to the biblical definition, we're going to answer the question of the world's definition of this so you can see the difference. According to this world, moneyfit.org, here's what financial freedom entails. And it's very similar to uh, Financial Post and all of these things that I did this research on. It all fits into this right here. Financial freedom, according to this world, is having enough savings, financial investments, and cash on hand, now listen to the wording, to afford the kind of life we desire for ourselves and our family. I'll read it again. Having enough savings, 
financial investments and cash on hand to afford the kind of life we desire for ourselves and our families. Did anyone see the problem there? Anyone catch it? Did you catch it? Just a lot if you caught it. Here's the problem. You and I buy into this lie every day. You've done it this week, so have I. We buy into this lie every day that it's all about us. We have finances, we have wealth, we have assets, so we can live out our desires, to live out our comfort, to make things really convenient for us. And here's the problem that happens when we buy into that. We choose the wrong master. We choose the wrong master. We pursue the kind of life we desire with the world's priorities, values, and ambitions. Through the wealth that God has entrusted us to steward for his glory. Do you see what we do when we buy into that lie? We rob God of his glory. Because we want it for ourselves. Is that real financial freedom? And we do not pursue what God desires through the means he's given to us to see his kingdom established and not our own. This is all about our own kingdom right here. See, we make money and wealth our master and serving it our greatest ambition. Now, I want to be very clear on something. You're like, man, this guy like totally hates money. It's all like, I want to make something very clear. We're not going to cross the biblical lines here. Jesus never condemns money or wealth in and of itself. It's neutral. Okay? It's, everyone say it's neutral. It's neutral. He never condemns it in and of itself. In fact, Scripture goes on to say it is a gift from him. He gives good gifts to his children. Right? So if money's not the problem, what is? Jesus doesn't condemn money and wealth in and of itself. He condemns the act of serving money as your master and greatest love and devotion. That's what he condemns. Serving of money as your greatest love and devotion. Why? Because he knows the results. And loved ones, we must know these results. Look at the screen. You'll see it right here. He tells us so clear what happens when we pursue the love of money and amassing earthly treasures. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love of money, not money itself, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away, just wanting more from this world, amassing wealth. They've wandered away from the faith, and look what happens. They have pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at the language. Piercing, hurting, suffering by chasing after earthly treasure. And it's so evident today, isn't it, loved ones? Look around. Look around. Maybe in your life, but look around at our culture too. It's so evident. Look at the anxiety over it. Got to get, got to have, got to get. What am I going to do? Anxiety, pierce. Stress, pierce. 
fear, Pierce, instead of gospel peace, no matter the times or season. Here's another one. Many pangs, misplaced priority instead of godly order in one's life. Here's another one. You see this tragically. Broken relationships and families, and even entire churches instead of gospel unity, as people are put on the back burner and the love of money and treasure is pursued. Brokenness. People get hurt. How about this? Selfishness and greed replace gospel generosity. Coveting replaces gospel contentment. Grumbling replaces gospel gratitude. Look at the pangs. You're just piercing ourselves here. And ultimately, serving money as our master over serving God. You have felt this piercing and so have I. So let me ask you the question again. Do you want to really live in true financial freedom? Are we finished with the piercing of ourselves? Even in the middle of all the economic uncertainty, it is so countercultural. Are we tired of piercing ourselves? So that's the world's definition of financial freedom to pursue that. But God has shown us through His Word where that leads. So now let's get God's definition of financial freedom. You'll see it on the screen right here. Write it down. True financial freedom is simply this stewarding God's wealth God's way. Stewarding God's wealth, God's way. And it starts right here. All of it starts right here. This is why we're kicking off with this one. You must choose your master. That's where it all starts. Which master will you serve? Every moment of every day. Because here's the truth, loved ones. You say, oh, that's totally easy. I'll choose God. Okay, is our life reflecting that? Listen, listen. Everything you and I do is a consequence of the master that we choose. I'm going to say it again. Everything you and I do is a consequence of the master we choose to serve. Everything. You can't escape that. Across the board. And here's the big idea for our text today. Jot it down. To live in true financial freedom, Jesus must be your only master. There it is. Right from our text, to live in true financial freedom, Jesus must be your only master. And so here in our text today, we will see two marks in the life of one who is serving with Jesus as their only master. And we will see the one desire and one devotion that we must increasingly ask God for each day to live out in his power if we are to live in true financial freedom and see his kingdom established by his power and for his glory. Loved ones, you ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Here it is. Lay up treasures in heaven. Let's read together. Kids, nice and loud. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here, church, is the life that serves Jesus as its master has one desire. Did you catch it? Has one desire, and that is treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, right from the text, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Hey, 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 question. What treasure are you laying up? What treasure? Are you laying up? Let's get our context. We're on a mountain in Galilee. You'll see the picture right here. We're on a mountain in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. There it is. I've stood on this mountain. It's the Mount of Beatitudes, and it's gorgeous. The picture doesn't do it justice. But there's, there's thousands of people around listening to Jesus, and here we are in Matthew in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. Amen? And it goes from the start of chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7. And Jesus here is teaching about the kingdom of God. And he simultaneously is rebuking the legalism and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were notorious through going through the motions and displays of faithfulness to God I'll just go through the right actions, but we're doing them. Here it is. Gets to the heart. It always goes to the heart. We're doing them out of a desire to receive glory from man and not out of a reverent worship of God for his glory. They want it to look good. And so with this, as part of this, they placed a high emphasis on gaining earthly treasure and wealth. The Pharisees had such a high emphasis on amassing earthly treasure and wealth as a sign and said it was a sign of God's blessing on them. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound familiar to today so much? The more you have, the greater God blessing you on this. If you don't, if you don't have that, it's because you just don't have enough faith. And you're di- Careful. So here's the Pharisees. That's why in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, 14, the Pharisees are referred to as lovers of money. Isn't that sad? The religious leaders referred to as lovers of money over lovers of God. They were supposed to be the shepherds. And the Pharisees believed devotion to God and devotion to money, devotion to the financial freedom as this world intends, were completely compatible. They believed it. Completely compatible. But they were completely wrong. They were blinded by their ambition and their lust for treasures of this world. And now Jesus rebukes them. And look at what he says in verse 19 to 21. He says, do not, that's a command, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, 
Here's the other side of the command. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus just called out the heart of the Pharisees in front of a whole mountainside of people. See, Jesus commands the people that if they are to be faithful to and to honor God, if they are to be faithful in seeking his glory, and ultimately, if they are to live in true financial freedom, they must have one desire, to lay up for themselves treasures of heaven and not the treasures of this world. You say, what are the treasures of this world? I want this to be so clear and so helpful. I think we're, more, we're really familiar with the treasures of this world. Things like money, possessions, assets, earthly wealth. You just turn on the TV, watch a few advertisements, and you'll see that. Okay? And the word, this phrase lay up there, circle it, because he repeats it, so let's pay attention and tune in. The term lay up there means to store up or amass or save up in bigger and bigger amounts. Just storing it up, amassing it, gotta have more. Now, I just, I want to be so clear, because there's a tension here, isn't there? I want to be so clear that Jesus is not here condemning the saving of money. Okay, everyone's looking at Joel. Let's just look. Hey, how you doing, Joel? Nice to see you, man. John, just take it off to the side, brother. Thanks. That's great. Okay, cool. We got there. Okay, back up here. Jesus is not condemning the saving of money. Okay? Let's be clear on that. In fact, Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So he's not condemning the saving of money. Okay? But he's condemning the serving of money. See the difference? Jesus is not condemning the saving of money. He is condemning the serving of money. This insatiable desire to accumulate the wealth of this world, having it as the motivation for our lives, and choosing it as your master that you serve and order your life around it. Money's in the middle, everything else gets ordered around it. Wealth is in the middle, everything else I do is serving this to have more. Even though, hear the word of the Lord, even though it will inevitably decay, break down, won't last, and be destroyed. And actually the term destroyed here, in verse 20 and verse 19, means to render invisible. Gone. Gone. I was over with one of the families in our church last night, over at their house, and looking at some pictures of their neighborhood. It's been devastated by the events of last week. The treasure of earth, gone like that with one tree through a house. God's word is true. But rather, instead of amassing 
this earthly treasure, we are commanded, not given a divine suggestion here if you feel like it. We are commanded by our king to focus on value, desire above all, and lay up for ourselves eternal treasure. What is that? Circle it. The treasure of heaven. This is the treasure that come the storm, come the pandemic, come the economic uncertainty, it cannot be destroyed. It can't touch it. It is permanent and it lasts into eternity. Okay, let's be so clear. We want to know what this is that Jesus is talking about. Here it is. Treasure of heaven. This is treasure that comes, ready, ready, listen carefully, from seeking our satisfaction, from pleasing and glorifying God, and not making it our ambition to amass earthly wealth. This is treasure. Let's, dr- let's drill down. This is treasure, heavenly treasure, that is amassed in heaven as we obey God's word. Notice the text. As we obey God's word from a heart, verse 21, that loves, desires, and treasures Jesus above all else. See, the Pharisees, they thought they were treasuring God above all else. They were completely blind. This is why he's rebuking the Pharisees here. You're going through all the motions, but I see your heart. It's all about money in the center and your life's being ordered around it. Heavenly treasure comes from obeying God in his power. It's from a heart that wants to worship him, out of worship. Now, the word heart there, circle it. He's not talking about this little muscle in your chest that just kind of does this. When the Bible's talking about heart, right here, it's talking about the center of our being. It establishes, the heart establishes our values, our priorities, and our desires. The Pharisees had this wrong. And here's what Jesus warns right here, because many of us get it wrong too, don't we? Here's what Jesus warns us right here. You'll see it on the screen. Your heart's condition directs your treasure's ambition. Your heart condition directs your treasure ambition. So if we're trying to go after, like these Pharisees, amassing the earthly wealth, the treasure of the world, that's a revelation of our heart. If we're going after the treasure of heaven, and that's our ambition, it reveals a heart that truly wants to honor the Lord. Walking in obedience to his word, seeking satisfaction in him alone. Notice this, what you value most is where your heart will be, loved one. What you value most is where your heart's going to be. So question, what is your heart set on right now? We sang that beautiful song, I set my heart on you. Is that true? What is your heart set on right now? It's easy to be set on earthly wealth right now, isn't it? Will I have enough? How will I make ends meet? How will all of this? It's easy to be set on that right now. We'll get more onto that next sermon as well about anxiety. But here's what we need to understand from these first three verses, and it is this. Write this down. You'll see it on the screen. Financial freedom, Jesus tells us right here, is not ultimately about what's contained in your wallet, but what has captured your heart. There's your determination. Right there. Of true financial freedom. It is not about ultimately what's contained in your wallet, but what has captured your heart. 
And this is where it all begins. This is why you can't just, this is why we don't start a sermon series like this and be like, well, if you just work really hard to get your budget in order, everything will be good because the budget overflows from the heart. It's going to have prioritized where your heart is. That's why we got to identify who's really your master before you get to any of that. That's all an overflow. But look at, look at what Jesus commands right here today, church. Jesus commands completely radical stewardship here over our culture, isn't it? Isn't it? This world says, live for today. Live your best life now. Well, here, here's the truth about that. If you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, let's put it that way, if you're living your best life right now, do you know what that means? That you are going to hell. If the best life you have is the treasure of this world, this is as close to heaven as you get. But for the believer, the one who's repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, this world is the closest to hell we ever get. So why are we so fixated on trying to live our best life now with the treasure of this world? Think about it, loved ones. Look what Jesus is trying to free us from. This world says, amass as much wealth as you can, as fast as you can, no matter the cost. Never mind, loved ones, never mind that everything this world tells you to desire more than anything, houses, investments, possessions, savings, status that comes from that, will be gone. Remember, destroyed, rendered invisible sooner or later. You and I cannot escape that. It will vanish. It's going to vanish. All of it. Think about it this way. I heard this said once. It brings to mind all the time. You'll see a picture on this. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Just put your hand up if you've ever seen that before. I didn't think so. A hearse never pulls a U-Haul. This is what Jesus is saying here. What are you going to live for? What are you going to set your hope in? You can't take that. That will be gone. See, this eternal perspective that Jesus is commanding of us shows us this world's idea of financial freedom is not freedom at all. It is not freedom at all. It is to be enslaved. It's not freedom, it's slavery. Serving the master of wealth at the expense of serving the master of life. That's where fault, piercing with many pangs. That's where it goes. So question, loved ones, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What treasure are you laying up? What treasure are you laying up? What's your priority? See, we have to understand everyone is desiring or laying up one of these two treasures. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. Treasure of heaven, treasure of earth. Which are you? And you may say this, well, it's so hard. Isn't this hard, loved ones? This is hard to do, isn't it? I confess that. It is hard to do. You say, how do I lay up treasure in heaven? Here it is. Praise the Lord. God's word tells us. Number one, write this down. Laying up treasure in heaven. Embrace Jesus now. 
Embrace Jesus now as your greatest treasure. I love Matthew 13, 44, just a few pages over. Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See that? The kingdom of heaven, that is salvation in Jesus Christ, eternal life, heavenly treasure, is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now notice what he did when he found the treasure. In his joy, he goes. He doesn't wait. He hears the, he sees the good news of the kingdom of heaven, salvation in Christ, and then he sells all that he has. He counts the cost and buys the field. Says, I need to get that. That is true treasure. Embrace Jesus now. That today, when you hear his voice, if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus as your personal savior, this is your first step to believe that Jesus Christ came as fully God and fully man and paid the penalty for your sin and ransomed you from death to life. He paid the penalty for that. And, and, and you don't have to sit in the slavery to sin anymore. And he died and rose again. Three days later, defeating the power of sin and death and the slavery to sin in our lives. And to embrace him means to repent and turn from our sin, these wicked ways, this world, and turn to him. Believing in him, saying, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God and the Messiah. See, here's the thing we have to understand. The greatest heavenly treasure we'll ever have is eternal life with Jesus. Jesus is our greatest eternal treasure himself. Everything else pales compared to that. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Loved ones, have you embraced Jesus as your greatest treasure? It will never be taken away. The gift of eternal life. Have you? And brothers and sisters, if you've made that decision, hey, hey, are you embracing Jesus as your greatest treasure daily? Are you coming to him and and making your daily prayer to say, Lord, help me to treasure you more than what? The wealth of this world? God is a God of generosity, amen? The gospel, so good. Secondly is this, embrace Jesus now, seek Jesus first. Embrace Jesus now as your greatest treasure. Seek Jesus first as your greatest priority. At all times and in all things. We'll get more into this next message. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. That is our priority. And his righteousness. Are we submitting to his kingdom? Saying, Lord, I want to seek you as my priority when I wake up today. I'm not just going to go about my business. When I'm going into this meeting, when I'm on my way to work, when I'm going into the classroom, when I'm going to see that client or that patient, we're praying, we're inviting him in, we're abiding in him, and Jesus is our greatest priority. Submitting to his kingdom, saying, Lord, your kingdom come and my kingdom go. See your greatest satisfaction. Who or what are you seeking first? Lord, help us to want you more. Lastly is this. Embrace Jesus now. Seek Jesus first as your greatest priority and then follow Jesus always as your greatest privilege. And we're not saying duty there. We're saying privilege. 
Follow Jesus always as your greatest privilege. I love in, in Mark 10, you say, where's the precedent for that? Mark 10, 21, Jesus talking to the rich young ruler and Jesus looking at him, loved him. I love this. It's loving to call out the heart and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Always. Come and follow me. Every time, let's make it very clear what he says right there. Every time you choose to obey God's word from a heart of reverence and joy and the privilege it is to do so that you and I don't deserve, every time we make the choice to obey God's word, we make the choice to lay up treasure in heaven. There it is. Obedience to the word of God in his power. Every time we focus on giving and generosity and meeting the needs of others rather than mass accumulating for ourselves, as Luke 12, 32 to 33 goes on to say, we store up treasure in heaven. And I gotta say this. I gotta say, I love this church. I just love this church. Love y'all so much. When these storms hit this past week, going through and talking with so many of you, calling, and they're like, what do you need right now? And they're like, oh, actually, I'm sleeping over at so-and-so's house. They're good. Okay. Wait, can we get you some groceries? No, no, they dropped groceries off this week. We're good. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We needed this appliance, but we got that appliance taken care of because the church came over and did. Loved ones. Thank you for showing me Jesus. That's what treasure, a focus, a desire for treasure of heaven does. It doesn't make it about us, knowing God will meet our needs. And it frees us up to be generous to others. So a few next steps here for consideration for you. Where are you not walking in obedience to God's word? Where are you not laying up treasure in heaven? Where's that going? You know, I'll deal with that sin later. Uh, how about now embrace Jesus and seek him as your greatest priority? Why wait? What needs has he put around you that you can meet? Your brothers and sisters in Christ, your neighbors, your, you know, your coworkers, what needs has he put around you? That's one of the greatest apologetics for the gospel in our day right now is generosity. Not stinginess, not hanging on, but trusting in the Lord's provision. What needs has he put around you? Where is earthy accumulation trumping heaven's priorities? Repent, loved one, and seek him first. I love how C.T. Studd said it this way. You see it on the screen. He's a missionary. He says, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Treasure in heaven. See, the life that serves Jesus as its master has one desire, treasure in heaven. And this desire right here as we land this plane today, this desire fuels one devotion. One devotion to Jesus alone. Hear the words of the master. You cannot serve God and money. Which one will you choose? When you leave here today, right now in your seat, which one will you choose? Look at, look at verses 22 and 23. Go back to the text. It's so good 
so life-giving. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. See, Jesus illustrates what the life of devotion to him looks like right here. He says, the eye is like the lamp to the body. Okay? So we got this lamp going on here. This is like a picture of our eye. And you'll see another picture on the screen. There it is. The eye is the lamp to the body. It shows the body which way to turn. It shows the body which is the way to go. And therefore, notice the the Savior's words. If the eye is healthy, if we're lit up seeing properly, then the whole body will be full of light. The whole body will be healthy. See, what he means by healthy, circle the word healthy there, what Jesus is saying is this, um, if the eye has a singular focus, if the eye's got a singular focus, it is clear vision, it is undivided, and it is devoted to Jesus, it represents here the life that's not trying to live a double life, serving Jesus in money. Serving Jesus in wealth. This is what a healthy eye does. It's undivided. It's clear vision. The healthy eye is the picture of the life that is totally devoted to Christ. Following God's word in his power. Following God's path and filled with righteousness as we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next into Jesus Christ. Into his image. That's the healthy eye. That's where it leads, loved ones. Seeking first his kingdom, living generously, storing up heavenly treasure. But notice the warning in verse 23. Don't leave it there. Jesus gives a warning in 23. He says, if the eye is bad, so there's our eye, if the eye is bad, the word bad there in the Greek means unhealthy. If our vision is unhealthy, if we are, it is blinded by evil and greed and materialism, pursue that, pursue that, pursue that. If it is the life focused on devotion to the treasure of this world, if the eye is bad, then the entire body, the entire life will be full of darkness, piercing itself with many pangs. Even though, notice the text, even though you think that's the light, even though you think that's the greatest treasure, you are blinded. And so the whole body is filled with darkness. You think you're deceived into thinking the darkness is actually light. Welcome to the world. And that's the temptation you and I face every day. Seeking darkness as light. See, this is thinking the treasure of earth is the greatest thing to live for when the reality is When the eye is bad, it is blind. It is like living like a blind person and having no ability. You're just kind of groping here and and you have no ability to follow Jesus and you are blinded to his path and his purposes because your focus is on the treasure of this world. It's sobering. Your perception determines your direction. So question, how's your eyesight? How's your eyesight? You know, one of the healthiest things we can do is right, right now, 
right after the service, again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, get an eye checkup from the true eye doctor. Is, is, your, is your eye singularly focused on Jesus and greatest devotion to him? Or are you even subtly blinded by your greed and desire for the treasure of this world? You say, well, how do I get an eye checkup? What does God give us? Here it is right here, two things. We, we get in God's word. It is a mirror to our soul. It shows us. Now, whether we respond to that and humble ourselves under it, that's on you. But it's a mirror to our soul. It will show you. And here's another way. Ask the people around you who love you. Spouses, ask one another. Brothers and sisters, ask those that are close to you. What, what does my life show my priorities are? Is my eye healthy? And what I spend money on and what I pursue and what I devote, what's in the middle and what I order my life around, is it, is it healthy? And then humble yourself and listen to them. Speak the truth in love. Because here's why this is so important. Final verse today, 24. Jesus makes it so clear. He sums it all up right here. Rebuke to the Pharisees. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, notice the spectrum, hate the one and love the other, opposite ends, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word money there at the end, the Greek means mammon, which means a broader category of wealth and possessions and the status you seek from that. See, no one, loved ones, you or me, can serve. The word serve there means have complete devotion to two masters. You can't give exclusive service to Jesus and exclusive service to money. It doesn't work. One always has to give. Do you notice that? You can't exclusively serve two masters. One has to give. It is impossible. The Pharisees had it wrong. They believed they're compatible. Jesus says they're impossible. And every moment of every day, you and I choose which one of these masters it will be. Every decision we make is a result of the master we choose to serve. Every one. You see, to belong, I love how one commentator put it, to belong wholly to one owner means that all other owners are ruled out. Have you ruled him out? Is Jesus ruled out? You say, well, I'll have Jesus over here, but when it comes to financial security and all this, I, I'm just, uh, right here, this master, right here. Jesus over here, when he fits in here, but then wealth over here, when I need to. Are you sure? Careful, careful, loved ones. How many of us today are trying to serve both Jesus and money, even right now in this time of economic uncertainty. And you say, what do I do though? Like, how do I, how do I steward this wise? And what if, you know, stocks continue to drop? And what if, hey, stay tuned. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's coming. Read the next section of Matthew 6 and it'll prime your heart for it. How many of us here, though, are saying, yep, I can be totally devoted to Christ, but I'm also going to be devoted to storing up wealth, earthly treasure for myself when it comes to my house, my comfort, my convenience, my status, my security. Loved one, hear the words of your king. Let them resonate in your heart right now in verse 24. That is impossible to do. One will always have to give. You will either hate, the word hate there means displace, 
You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to. That means grasp and cling to the one and despise the other. That means devalue it as being unworthy to follow. Oh, Lord, help us. Amen? Lord, help us. There is no middle ground. And I want to say this again as we go to close here. I want to say this again. This doesn't mean that we aren't to be wise with what God has entrusted to us in our saving, in our giving, in our stewarding as Jesus leads. Okay? He's not calling for foolishness on this stuff. And here's what the other thing it means. It doesn't mean that we're not to enjoy the good gifts that God gives us. We can enjoy them. First Timothy talks about that. He gives them according to his good pleasure. However, it means there's only one who is our master. Those things do not take his place. You cannot serve God and money. Which master will you choose, Hope Ottawa? Are you living the double life with two agendas, Christ here and wealth here? Loved one, if that's the case, it's time to repent and say, Jesus, you alone are my master, and I surrender to you. How do you want me to lay up the treasure of heaven with what you've entrusted to me and where you have me right now? You say, well, when I get more money, then I'll be more generous. Mm-mm. Where right now are the needs around me? Where can I lay it up clear? And I want to be absolutely clear on this. It is not a sin to have money. It is a sin to serve money. That's what Jesus is pulling out here. And to live in true financial freedom, Jesus must be your only master. It's where it all starts. Living with one desire, the treasure of heaven, and one devotion to him alone. Which master will you choose? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all, all praise, all adoration. You are a faithful and loving God. You are the Redeemer. You are the Savior. You are the Son of God. And I thank you that in you there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who have been saved in you. And so right now over this place, as we prepare to respond in worship, I pray you'll be doing a convicting work, a refreshing work, a hope-filled work. That Lord, you are not done with us. And Lord, I thank you that you are changing us to be more like you. You are so much more committed to our sanctification than even we are. But Lord, right now I pray it would just be a posture of open hands saying, Jesus, you are worth it all. You are worth this, and you are worth this, and you are worth this, Lord. And right now you would be exposing where, what, what is the true treasure of our hearts. Oh Lord, help us. I confess I fall short so many times, but help us, Lord that you would be our greatest treasure, that when we sing right here, worth it all, I let go of all I have just to have all of you. We would mean that from a place of authentic, reverent worship for the glory of your name, Jesus, our master. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and respond in worship?